Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? El Sacco and Zane Nackby here with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And look, every week it seems like the 49ers are finding a new way to make you want to tear your hair out of your head. And even though they've been ravaged by injuries, you could argue this team could be 3-2. and two. You could also argue they could be 0-5. And, and either way you look at it, you have to think, Zane, at this point, we're looking forward to 2019, aren't we? I think that was kind of the outlook before they started the season but obviously they didn't anticipate losing Jarek McKinnon and Jimmy Garoppolo and they didn't anticipate losing so many other starters for extended periods of time really it just comes down to whose backups are better are the 49ers backups better than some of these other rosters or are they not and I think that it's there's a lot to unpack with regard to talking about the 49ers roster I have some things to say I'm sure that you have some things as well but to me losing to the Arizona Cardinals at home with a rookie quarterback and a rookie coach and a, the quarterback making his first road start of his career is inexcusable, especially with the numbers that they put up offensively, putting up almost 500 yards of offense, 33 first downs, 10 of 17 on third down. Like you, if you saw that stat line minus the turnovers, you would think that they won by 40 and they lost by 10. And that's only after getting a garbage touchdown at the end. So they've got some work to do with the roster. And I think that, Really, we have to be, obviously, we have to be patient, but at the same time, you went in a rebuild, you want them to progress, and, and we'll talk about that and a lot more later. And we'll talk about that game, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about the roster and where we're headed long-term and try to sort it all out, and we'll get that started with our guest, the one and only Mr. Matt Barrows. We're always excited to welcome back to the show from the Athletic and the No Breaks podcast, Mr. Matt Barrows. Matt, thank you for the time as always. Thanks for having me on. All right, to start off, obviously, Garoppolo's injury has derailed the season. And even when he was playing, there still looked to be some holes on this roster and maybe even some positions like wide receiver that, that they misjudged. And just trying to find some positives in what's going on here. Can this maybe be a blessing in disguise in the sense that now the 40s can, 49ers can really see what they have around Garoppolo and see this team play without him and see what the blemishes really are? Yeah, I mean, it's as if the uh, the veil has been lifted off the team, and you're you're kind of looking at its innards now. And um, yeah, wide receiver is uh, is probably one uh, B as far as uh, positions of need for this team. One A being edge pass rusher. I think everybody uh, agrees on that. But um, it, it also shows you what they have when Marquise Goodwin isn't uh in the game and i i know that they drafted uh dante pettis to be sort of the guard against that uh and it's a, a bit of a weird situation with both goodwin and pettis out but uh without them i mean uh there's really not a lot uh of excitement we've got a very good sort of gritty um underneath guy in pierre garçon but uh, you don't have anyone to stretch the field and uh, you saw the result of that uh, on Sunday. Uh, I thought that Kyle Shanahan did a remarkable job of kind of scheming around that. But uh, even he acknowledged that, that that's not going to be able to be the case week in and week out. You can only uh, call so many screens, which is what uh, mm-hmm. they basically lived on against the Cardinals. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Garcon is, is 32 years old. Goodwin um, has a you know a history of injuries. And uh, it, it's clear that they need somebody there, uh, probably a bigger body guy who's not going to be able to be uh, jammed up at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, it's uh, very easy to say that's what they need. It's another thing to actually go out and find that. And uh, that'll, that'll be a challenge, I think, in the offseason. In the loss to the Cardinals was definitely an embarrassing one. The Niners set a record by running 92 plays. They had almost 450 yards of offense, held the ball over 40 minutes, and still lost by 10 at home to a winless team. Last year, things were ugly, too, in the first half of the season, and, and Kyle seemed to keep this team together. Do you get the sense that they're still engaged, or can this season kind of spiral out of control? Well, um, I do get the the sense that they're still engaged now. I mean, I think the risk is that you, uh, as a team, 
you lose to the Cardinals at home, as you noted. Um, and then, you know, uh, very few people have the, the team winning these next two games. You, you start to think, oh, gee, I mean, we have not gone anywhere from last year. We're, we're right back where we started with this team. Um, and uh, I, I wonder if, if that is the conclusion, how easy is it to kind of keep everyone's attention? I mean, to, to me, that's, mm-hmm. a, uh, that's a real psychological blow if that's uh, what everybody wakes up and realizes. And, and that's the fear that um, instead of making incremental progress, you've, uh, you've gone backwards and you're sort of spir- spiraling around the same uh, type of uh, talent level and win level that you were at, at midseason a year ago. And things have looked ugly defensively, but they did play a better game against Arizona. So hopefully this D can turn the corner. But from what you saw, was this more just the defense playing a bad offense, or do you think they figured some things out? Well, I, I think it's a little of both. I mean, there, there were certainly a number of drop passes that could have made this game uh, a lot easier for the Cardinals. Um, and then, again, they were playing a rookie quarterback, uh, his first road start for Josh Rosen. So those are, are uh, mitigating factors, uh, but I do think that they also played better. Um, the first play of the game, notwithstanding, or the first uh, Cardinals offensive play, notwithstanding, uh, the the tackling was better. Um, the coverage I thought was pretty good. Um, you know, uh, Akella Witherspoon and, and Greg Maben alternating at that uh, right cornerback spot. They they actually played really well after that uh, that seventy five yarder. So uh, that that's going for them. I think that uh, the fact that. Ruben Foster uh, has shaken off the rust. I think that that duo uh, with him and Fred Warner is going to be one that gets better and better as the year goes on. And then, you know, hopefully this uh, this safety group uh, starts to play better. I thought Joukowsky Tart had his best game of the season, uh, and Adrian Colbert uh, obviously was the uh, – uh, the goat on that 75 yarder from that point on, he played well. So, um, you know, that's the middle of your defense. That's the part of the defense you need to be playing really well. That's what they were missing these first, uh, four or five weeks. And, uh, you know, th- that's going to be the difference, uh, I think between, you know, an okay season and a really bad season. If that group can start to play a lot better, uh, keep things in front of them, then, uh, I think that they'll at least have a chance in some of these games coming up. Is Robert Salah coaching for his job the rest of the way? Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, I, I think that, you know, the, Kyle Shanahan would love to retain him. I mean, that that would be his instinct to do that because um, you don't want to bring in a new coordinator and have a, a group of young guys uh, learn a new defense. I think there's plenty of time uh, you know, at, at this time last year, we were all talking about Vic Fangio. You know, w- was he still on the radar? Was he a possibility? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- with the with the Bears likely, you know, changing regimes like they did, um, and uh, it became a a non-issue by the end of the season because that defensive unit, the Forty ers defensive unit, uh, was playing a lot better. Uh, and and I, I actually think that that's going to be the case this year. Um, the the question will and should arise: Why weren't they playing better at the beginning of the season? But uh, I think by the end, um, you know, just it's it's a young group. Uh, they're in year two of the system. The schedule is a little bit more amenable by the end of the year. I think all those factors mean that this the the, the defense will be playing better. And uh, I uh, my guess is that Shala retains his job. Real question is, if he's gone, do you and Lombardi have to change the name of your podcast? <laughs> no, that'll be a, a kind of a, a, a cool uh, a carryover, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it, and there'll be a nice story behind it. There used to be a defensive coordinator here that we uh, we borrowed this name from. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, etched in stone at this point. It's here to stay, here to stay. It, now, despite the record and even the sloppy play, it's it's almost impossible to judge Kyle Shanahan as a head coach because of all the injuries and the issues with the roster. But what's been your assessment of, of how Kyle's done so far this season in terms of how he's adjusted and handled the adversity? Well, I mean, the adversity really is just happening now, so uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this team was really all that prepared to begin the season. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. You're seeing that on defense mm-hmm. with the missed tackles. Uh, the offense makes a lot of mistakes, and uh, it's not something that you can slough off to, you know, well, it's just a bunch of young guys making mistakes. It's Pierre Garçon making a mistake. It's Garrett Selleck making a big mistake. Uh, Joe Staley had a couple of penalties the other day. These are the most veteran guys on your team. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to the coaching staff. Uh, it, it, last year's training camp, I felt, was um, rigorous. I mean, it wasn't a lot of yelling or anything like that, but it was intense. This year's was, was not like that. It, it, I don't, I don't want to say it was lax, but it was not did not have the same tone, I think, as 2017. And I, I think we saw the result of that in September, the, the, the missed tackles, the mistakes, mm-hmm. the penalties, this and that. Um, they were sloppier than they should have been, and that boils down to coaching. Um, and uh, you know, maybe Kyle Shanahan was, was too lax, was too much of a player's coach uh, this offseason and into training camp. Uh, I think there were a lot of guys that kind of went three-quarters speed in the preseason wanted to avoid injuries and, and you understand the uh the impetus behind that. But the result is that you're you're not ready to play when, when games start to count in September. And uh that that could be said for a number of players on this team. It's crazy to even think about the offseason in week six, but that's that's kind of where we are right now. So much is on the line in year three for Lynch and Shanahan in terms of them just having to move this team forward a little bit. Do you see them being very aggressive in the offseason in terms of free agency, moving around in the draft, that sort of thing? Absolutely. I mean, uh, they're going to have as much uh, salary cap space as anyone. Um, you know, it, it, it makes them nervous because you know, most teams will remove the, the best players from free agency. They're just not available. The guys that you would... Uh, want to spend a lot of money on Khalil Mack, for example. That type of player is not going to be available in free agency. So you end up pay- paying Khalil Mack like money for someone you realize is not of that caliber, and I think that's difficult for them to to do. Uh, but I think it's necessary to, to bring in somebody at that position. Uh, we already talked about receiver, and then uh, the draft. I mean. Uh, you know, this is shaping up to be the draft in which you find an edge rusher. And, and maybe that the 49ers have to use a couple of their picks. I know they don't have uh, the depth uh, or, or number of picks this year that they've had in years past. They've had double digits. Um, they, they might end up only having six or seven, but uh, they, they need to go hard after that position and maybe a couple of others. And um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, 2000. You, you get a break. In 2017, you get a break in 2018 uh, due, due largely to these injuries. Um, you don't get a break in 2019. That's, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road for this team, for this coaching regime. They have to start winning. Um, it has to look like a good team at that point. Uh, there's no bones about it. And I think that that's uh, something that they realize too and will uh, use the offseason to make the necessary adjustments. Do you realize since since 2015, the 49ers are 4-23 and in the months of September and October? Their seasons have basically been over before they started. I mean, it's crazy, yeah, isn't it? It's bad. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's, uh, uh, that, that's, that's preparation. That's coaching. I remember the, the 2011 season, which was a, a bizarre season because it was the lockout. So there was really no offseason. And uh, the 49ers had a new coaching staff, Jim Harbaugh and Vic Fangio came in, and they basically had to, A, assemble their uh, team and start training camp at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And um, Harbaugh pushed them very hard, and they had a lot of veterans on the team that, that sort of uh, took up that, uh, that challenge, Justin Smith, Patrick Willis, et cetera. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't hit the ground exactly in a sprint. Um, they were, they were still finding their feet a bit in, in September, but they stayed in games and they won some of those early games. And by the fourth game of the season, they, they hit their stride and we all know what happened next. But my point Mm -hmm. being that 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 was a team that pushed and pushed and pushed because it knew that it was behind the eight balls, a new team, a new staff, a new offense, a new defense. And they were going out uh, a mile a minute, 
And that served them well when the season began. Like I said earlier, I, I didn't feel like that was happening this off season. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the opposite effect uh, occurred in September. And if we are looking towards 2019, assuming there's any interest, do you think it makes sense to start shopping some veteran guys who may not be there next year? Maybe like a Pierre Garcon? Yeah, I mean, if you could, um, I, I don't know if if they would would be able to to, to uh, you know get anything for him. Uh, they do have a uh, younger guy that they like behind him in Kendrick Bourne. Um, I've got mixed feelings about Garcon. Um, you know, if you could get something good for him, yeah, that, that's something that they would have to do. I doubt that they would. And it's such a, uh, as we talked about earlier, a position of need. They don't have a lot of depth there. And uh, at this point, I, uh, I'm not sure it would be wise to get rid of a guy. No, he's not playing that great right now, but um, he's better than most of the guys at that position. If you've got the money to uh, to spend, you might as well keep him around because Lord knows this team gets a lot of injuries and uh, he, he could be uh, needed at some point. Um, you know, I, I've gone over the roster. I don't know who they would trade to, to get someone to get a draft pick uh, or, or anything like that. So that leads me to believe that they won't be able to be sellers uh, before the trade deadline, although I'm sure that they'd like to uh, bulk up on their, uh, their draft pick uh, count before April rolls around. Looking at some bright spots, I think the offensive line's actually been pretty good overall, and McGlinchke especially is, is turning in a pretty solid rookie campaign. He's been great in the run game. While they certainly still need weapons on the offense, you have to feel good about what they have up front in front of Garoppolo for next year, don't you? Yeah, and, and the ability to run the ball is, is such a big deal, and it's something that they didn't do consistently last year. And you know, Another part of that, I think, is um, you know, the, the, uh, the running backs, even without Jarek McKinnon, are catching the ball a lot better. They're, they're a bigger factor in the passing game than they were a year ago. I'm not exactly sure what, what that's a factor of, um, you know, whether it's just uh, being in, in year two, uh, et cetera. But even somebody like uh, uh, Alfred Morris, who has zero rep- reputation as a pass catcher, has been pretty mm-hmm. good. Uh, whereas last year, Carlos Hyde, uh, he, uh, he and, and C.J. Beathard were just never on track. I mean, there was just one drop after another. And uh, even... Um, Matt Breida, who, um, uh, you know, is a little bit more nimble and uh, uh, played wide receiver in high school, et cetera, uh, he had trouble last year. Um, he's been much better. Morris has been good, um, if not spectacular. Um, and uh, I just think that that facet of the game, uh, and it was something that they certainly concentrated on in the offseason, is, uh, you know, noticeably better than it was a year ago. You mentioned Breida, and that brings me to my last question. Two of the guys on offense that have pretty much carried the load have been George Kittle, which I think a lot of people expected that jump for him. And the other one is Breida, and, and there was a lot of concern when McKinnon went down. Who's, who's going to carry the load here? Who's going to be able to run the ball? And he's been fantastic. I know he's banged up right now, but are you shocked at what he's done? Was this something you, you thought he could do? What are your thoughts on Breida? No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, uh, you know, he's the most McKinnon-like of, of the backs after McKinnon. Um, and uh, he's actually you know, a, a, a stronger runner than, than McKinnon is. He hits that hole really mm-hmm. hard, uh, and, and we, we certainly saw that in the early part of uh, Sunday's game. Uh, the issue with Breida and the reason why he wasn't drafted is that he's got a very long injury history. It goes back to high school. Uh, broken arm, shoulder injuries, shoulder surgeries, shoulder injuries in college, et cetera, et cetera, and, and that's why... People were wondering, you know, Matt Breida is doing so well. Why is he only getting eight or nine carries a game? I mean, the 49ers knew this and uh, and knew that he wasn't a guy that would be able to withstand a huge load, a 20-carry game load. And and they're they're right. I mean, he's uh, had a shoulder injury in in the preseason. He had a knee injury a couple weeks ago in Kansas City. He had a shoulder injury in uh, Los Angeles, and now he's got uh, an ankle injury against the Cardinals. So uh, I just don't know how long he's going to be able to, um, you know, stay upright. And and certainly they can't increase his workload over what he's been getting to this point. Matt, you were the best buddy. Thank you so much. All right, no problem. Talk to you soon. 
Okay, Zane. So I figure that most of the people, or at least some of the people that listen to this show, follow us on Twitter too. And anybody who does follow me on Twitter knows I, I kind of went on, not quite a rant, but I had some things to say about the ownership recently. And I, I just, I do want to address that because some people were like, yeah, I know where you're coming from. And other people were like, why bring up the ownership? And I guess let me just sort of explain where I was coming from with it. And my thought after this game, after just another frustrating loss, I just sat and thought to myself, man, how did we get here again? How are we here again? And, and I'll explain what I mean. The Niners were bad, really bad. 2004, right? When the second year Dennis Erickson, they had to restock this roster at the time and, and they went on years and years of just being one of the, the worst teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of got better with Harbaugh. And then here we are back again. And I'm looking at it. And when you look at it all, even when you consider the Harbaugh years, the 49ers are losing at a historic level. They prior to, well, let me say this. When the York started hiring coaches, which was the 2003 season, the first year for Erickson, okay, in the last 14 years, the 49ers have lost 10 or more games seven times. In the history of their franchise, they only lost 10 or more games seven times previously to that. So they've already equaled 10 plus losses within the last 14 years. And it looks like you're going to get 10 losses this season, you would figure. So that's going to be eight of the last 15 years with 10 or more losses. That's even including those, those Harbaugh years. That's really, really bad. And if the Niners lose 10 lo- have 10 losses or more this season, it's going to mark the fourth season in a row for the first time in franchise history. This team is 14 and 39 in their last 53 games, going back to 2015 which is is frustrating. Here's a stat for you. I was thinking uh, probably what frustrates me the most out of all the saying is that the season's over already again, or at least it feels that way, right? And I thought about it and I said, all right, since Harbaugh left, the season's pretty much been over in October the last four years. And if you look at the numbers since week one of 2015 through week five of 2018, the 49ers are four and 23 in the months of September and October from 2015, 2017, they went five and 28 in September and November. These seasons are over before they started. Mm-hmm. And look, we don't want to harp on the negative and injuries have played a huge part of it this season. For sure. For sure. You cannot discount the injuries. It, it totally derailed the season, but how did we get here? How did we get to this point where this roster is so bad with some of these key pieces missing? And, and even Garoppolo obviously changes the whole dynamic, but how can they not, how can they have a game like last week against the Cardinals? How can they play that way? How did the roster get to this point? And it's again, because they were so stripped down after Harbaugh left and in the ownership makes these poor decisions. It wasn't, wasn't that they let Harbaugh go. If that was such a toxic relationship, fine. You had to move on. It was the way that they replaced him with Tom Sula and then not letting Balky go and, and doing a worthless year at Chip Kelly. And he just wasted two years there. And then you bring in this new regime. And has the new regime been perfect? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But they were in such a hole. This ownership put them in such a hole that they have no margin for error. So even some of these misses were on a team where there may have been some other guys that can make up for it. There's no margin for error here. So which is snowballs, and you have what you have right now with a team who is looks like they're going to lose 10-plus games again. And just an organization in the last four years that, I mean, the fans deserve better. The fans at least deserve to be playing competitive, worthwhile football around Thanksgiving, where you at least kind of sort of have a hope. Mm-hmm. These seasons have been over, over by October. And it's, as a fan base, I can see why people are very frustrated. Yeah, and I'm also one of those frustrated people. And I, I look at this two ways. I look at this from an organizational standpoint, like what they had to work with. And I look at it as a fan, as somebody who wants the team to do well. So I'll start first from the organizational standpoint. Now, a lot of people are unfairly saying that Kyle Shanahan should be fired and that he should be, that this is his fault. This is not Kyle Shanahan's yeah, fault. That's, that's ridiculous. I agree with that. It's ridiculous. It's not his fault. Like Kyle Shanahan is, is doing the best with the cards that he has been dealt. And you put any other coach on this team and you give any other coach this roster they're not even scoring half the points per game that they are at this point. 
And I think that Kyle Shanahan has done a really good job of making the most out of some spare parts. Like, think about it now. How many guys have they signed over the last two years or drafted that that can actually be counted on to be full-time starters, either through their past performance as full-time starters or on the team now? Think about it. Mm-hmm. Jared McKinnon was the big signing this year, right? And Jared McKinnon has never been a full-time starter. He's always been either the third down back or sharing carries. Um, you look at the only guy that, that they really signed that's a full-time starter besides uh, Marquise Goodwin who started last year. Even he was not a full-time starter. He was a number three receiver with Buffalo. Richard Sherman is the only guy that they brought in. Really, it's been a full-time starter besides Richburg. And with Richburg, like, you're a center. How much can you impact the game? He's been great. He's been really good. But at the same time, like at the skill positions, they don't have guys that can really be full-time starters that are still effective. Pierre Garcon was was one of those guys as well, but he's not he's not effective anymore. Like he's he's dropping passes, he's not getting open. It's not this is not why you brought Pierre Garcon here. He brought him in just to be basically a placeholder and to be a mentor to a younger guy. And maybe that's Dante Pettis, but Pettis has got to get on the field. So I can see what they're trying to do and I can see what what the plan is, but at the same time you have to be able to hit on some of these draft picks and hit on some of these free agent signings and, and bring in difference makers. Like the reason why they lost the Arizona game was not because like, Oh, well, well, Jimmy wasn't in there. I mean, they put up ridiculous yards. It was, it was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. Yeah, like they the dominated every facet of that game. They held the ball for 40 minutes. Arizona had 61 total yards in the second half, 61. And the defense was there and the offense just kept turning it over. And I just it's just so frustrating as a fan, and now I'm getting into the frustrating part of it, that they can't even nurse themselves to a win. Look, I, I understand that you're down to your number three running back with Alfred Morris with Brita being out and, and number four running back with Mostert who had a fumble. I understand that. But at the same time, you should be able to nurse your team to a win if you have a better roster than Arizona, which you do. Arizona is one of the worst rosters in the league. And I think that what happened was that they put way too much on CJ Beathard's shoulders and CJ like he's, you're not going to win the game with him throwing 50 plus times. You're not. Yeah. And I think that they got out of balance because, because of the fact that really, who do you look to? You don't really have a go-to guy in this roster. Yes. They're still building the team. I understand that they're still rebuilding and it's year two and, and, and all of that. But at the same time, from year one to year two, you want to make progress. You want to do something. And, and they really haven't, in my opinion, like they haven't, they haven't, really bettered the roster from last year. You want to incrementally improve your team every year of a rebuild. It's not going to happen over one year. And it's not on Kyle Shanahan to do that. It's not his fault. Like, yes, he can be a better play caller in certain situations, but I think he's done a great job with, with the hand he's been dealt. Now, you can point to the fact that they've only, basically the 49ers have only won one game without Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. Kyle Shanahan has one win without Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. So, that's pretty telling that that was basically obviously the, the centerpiece of this offense. But at the same time, what was your plan if Jimmy went down or what was your plan if he wasn't effective? Like, what was your plan? Was the plan just to say, oh, well, we're just going to ride or die with Jimmy and not put anything around him? So this could be taken as a learning experience for the front office. And this could be taken as something that they can take forward in the 2019. And now the concern that I have is that you're basically putting all of your ducks in one pond and, it, and all of your kind of chips to the middle of the table for 2019. And what if you can't sign all the free agents, free agents you want to sign? What if the draft picks that you're expecting to fall to you either don't fall to you or they get injured during the college season or they just dramatically drop off during this last season of their college career? Like you, do, you, can't, you can't just be like, oh, we're planning for the 2019 draft acting as if you're going to hit on all of your picks. It's just, it's just foolish. And I'm wondering like, what was, the, what was the plan for this year then? Was the plan just to be like, oh, we're just going to, we're just going to fold up shop and then and then hope to plan for 2019. Like, I mean, what's what's what is the plan going forward? And that's what I want to know. And to me, when you build a team, you build it over a number of years. It doesn't happen in one off season. And now they put themselves in a position because they haven't done enough in the previous two off seasons to really get enough difference makers. Granted, they've flipped the roster and and the roster is much better than it was as you mentioned when when Trent Balky was here but they haven't brought enough difference makers slowly, like piece by piece that they're now having to rely on this 2019 off season as the off season for them to make all these changes. But Al, like for a front office, that's really good. Even the good front offices, if you can find five starters on either side, like on both sides of the ball total in one off season, that's a really good off season between the draft mm-hmm. and free agency. That's a really good off season. 
Now you're asking the 49ers to do that, who have holes all over the place in one offseason. You're asking them to fill all these holes pretty much in one offseason because then you're going into year and four and five of Shanahan and Lynch, and, and you, you have to know what you have then because either you're extending these guys. You don't want to lame duck coach and GM. You need to extend them before their contracts run out. So, like, time is, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not pushing, pushing them to, to, to do anything now, but really, like, next year they really need to get into the gear. They need to be more aggressive. They need to bring in more difference makers because when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, he hasn't even played a full season as a starter yet. He's going to be 28 next year. So that's, to me, like, that's, that's like a prime, the prime of a quarterback's career from ages basically 26 to, I mean, some guys go through 36, 38, 40 years old. But for most quarterbacks, this is the prime of your career. And the fact that he hasn't taken a full season's worth of snaps, it, it, it bothers me because it's not, and again, it's not his fault, but it bothers me because I want to see him progress. I want to see him do well. I want to see him break some of these bad habits that we saw in the first three weeks of the season. That only happens by playing. I'm sorry, I'm going on a long rant, but this is just like, this is very frustrating to me because you should not lose to a team like Arizona when you're, even when you're in a rebuild, they're the worst mm-hmm. team in the league. You should not lose that game. So I, I don't know, Al. I think that, that personally, I know I'm overreacting. I know that, but it was just so frustrating for me to watch because I know that they're better than this. Starting with Kyle, I, I put out a poll on Twitter because I wanted to see where the fan base was after that loss because that was as bad as a loss as they've, they've had in a while. So I asked after watching the 49ers make mistake after mistake the first five weeks of the season, and they have been sloppy and they, they have made a ton of mistakes. Are people starting to doubt Kyle Shanahan? And over a thousand people um, took part in the poll, which I appreciate. Thank you. Um, only 17% said yes that they were starting to doubt him. So not most people are still on the bandwagon with Shanahan, as they should be. 50% said, no, they blame the injuries, which is a huge part of it. And another 33% said he's a young head coach and he's still learning. And I think for me, it's somewhere between B and C, somewhere between, and we're blaming these injuries and that Shanahan's young and still learning. Mm-hmm. few things that worry me about Kyle, the sloppiness does worry me. The turnovers, the missed assignments, just things like that. And I think part of the reason for that is Kyle might be taking on too much. Mm-hmm. Kyle's doing all the offensive plays. There's a young defensive coordinator. What I would like to see them do this offseason. Listen, uh, Robert Sala, barring a huge turnaround, I, I probably will not be there next year. I know Kyle likes the Seattle type of defense. They can always bring someone else in who runs this type of defense. And I would really like for them to get a veteran type guy, Dan Quinn, if he's like over Atlanta, somebody like that, who has head coaching experience or has just been around a long time, who can come in and just almost be like the head coach on defense. Just do that so Kyle can concentrate on the offense. Maybe Kyle hires an offensive assistant because I don't think he's ever going to give a play calling, but just something to help him a little bit so he can be more of the CEO of the team. That's what I would like to see. In terms of the offense, look, I think this offense, if you cut out the mistakes, this offense is doing fine. Mm-hmm. They're moving the ball. They're scoring points. They scored a lot of points in against Los Angeles with CJ. There were a couple fluky turnovers. And in this game, I just thought Beathard kind of looked like the Beathard of last year. The plays were there to be made and they moved the ball all over the place. But there's just times when he hangs on to the ball too long and in he's slow with going through his progressions and he forces the ball and gets a fumble because he has no pocket presence and Kyle's got to be wanting to tear his hair out. So for him, I'm not, I'm still all in on Shanahan. I still think he's going to be a very good head coach. I just think this is like, he's taking his lumps right now. He really is. Now is year three huge for him. Will year four be, be huge for him? Absolutely. But right now I just think he's taking his lumps as far as the roster. And I'll start with offense. I think things are a little bit better than they seem. And the reason I say that is the offensive line has played pretty well. Joe Staley hasn't had a good year by his standards, but he's still a pro football focus has him rated uh, 70, 70 rating. Lake and Tomlinson, 65 rating. Uh, Weston Richburg, only 58.8. These are overall ratings. Mike Person, uh, 74.5. And Mike McGlinchey, who's been very good, I think, for first five games, 76.9. And he's actually 86.4 in the running game. Niners are third in the NFL in rushing yards and at, yards per attempt. They're running the ball fantastic. Mm-hmm. If they can hold on to that ball, that offense is clicking. So I think that offensive line is there, and you have to hope next year that Staley doesn't regress a lot. They still maybe has one or two good years left in him. They can get out of him, even if you have to move tackle him. McGlinchey goes to left at some point. You have to hope that you can get a couple years out of him. You have that offensive line. You have the quarterback when he's healthy. Running back, I love what Matt Breed has done, and I think if he can stay on the field, he's going to be a weapon, and McKinnon's coming back. But I just feel in Kyle's system, he's going to be able to find guys to plug in. I really do. Mm-hmm. Kittle's a stud. We know that up and coming. The big thing on this team 
they don't have wide receivers and that's hurt them. And I was listening to the podcast with, with Matt Barrows and uh, David Lombardi. And I think it was Tim Kawakami too. I listened to their podcast and one of them told the story. I don't remember if, it, if they said it was training camp or mini camp or what it was, but they said it was a day where just the Niners defense dominated. And they said to John Lynch, you know, Hey, the defense was all over the offense day. And he said, well, we didn't have Marquise Goodwin. I was like, all right. You know, I thought about it and they made the good point on there too. They said, if, if Marquise Goodwin means that much to your offense, maybe you have a depth issue. And I, I listened to them say that. And I said, you know what? Yeah. And it makes sense looking at this year because Goodwin hasn't been there. And even when he has been there, he hasn't been healthy. What's he has five, what does he have five catches this year or whatever it is? Yeah. So he really hasn't been there. And again, it's kind of like you said with Garoppolo, like they're relying so much on this one guy. Other than that, they misjudged what they had there. Pierre Garcon is done. I'm sorry. He's done. He's dropping balls. He's not anywhere near the player he was last year. Pettis has been hurt, so we don't know yet. Kendrick Bourne does not scare anyone. Trent Taylor is averaging, what, seven yards a catch or something like that? I'd have to look it up, but it's under 10 yards a catch. They don't have people that scare anyone there. And that's where they have to improve offensively in the offseason. They have to get one or two guys at receiver, playmakers that are going to scare people they're set at tight end running back they can figure out they need receivers they have to go out and get receivers and that will make a huge difference now defensively we all know about the pass rush i could be we could beat a dead horse with that we know about that here's the thing that i feel like people are everybody wants to jump on the secondary right witherspoon's garbage i personally think witherspoon's playing hurt but it doesn't excuse the mental errors but i know his ankles banged up witherspoon's garbage uh, Colbert's garbage. Tark can't stand the field. He's garbage. Listen, two months ago, everybody in the world was saying how good those three players were going to be. No one saw this coming. National guys, I know Pete Prisco, I read an article that he wrote. He said that he thought Colbert was going to be the next sa- big safety in the NFL. Everyone thought these guys were going to come in and play this year. No one saw this coming. So it's not like when you look at the roster on the defense, like you're like, oh, you know, what the hell were they doing? Well, they had these guys in place that everyone was excited about. Right? We were excited about Colbert. We were excited about Tart. We were excited about Witherspoon. We thought Sherman was going to kind of tie it all together if everyone could stay healthy. You know, Quan Williams isn't great, but he's he's decent. So we thought all these guys were going to be there and it hasn't worked out. So is it anyone's fault? Well, maybe Robert Salas. I don't know. But in terms of talent on the roster, it, it, it might not be. Where I do have another issue in terms of the roster is what they're doing with Solomon Thomas. And did we think that he was going to be the impact player at number three overall? No, we didn't think that. But they are misusing him criminally. It's, it's ridiculous. He had eight snaps from the inside in pass rushing situations in week, in week five. That's where he needs to play. If you want to build Solomon Thomas and you have the intent of him being a, a cornerstone piece of your team, and if you took him at number three overall two years ago, why wouldn't you think that? Why are you not putting him in a place to succeed? He's good against the run, but he needs to rush the passer from the inside. Why are you sticking with Eric Armstead there? Put Solomon Thomas in a position to succeed. That drives me crazy. So everybody's like, oh, well, he's a bust. And has he lived up to his expectations? No, not even close. But I also don't think the Niners have done him any favors. They really haven't. And if we're looking towards 2019, Zane, and there's a lot to unpack there for you, but they have to put Solomon Thomas in a position to succeed and see what they have in him. Eric Armstead is not going to be an anchor for your defensive line for the next five or six years. Thomas might be. See what you have in him. So going back to Kyle Shanahan real quick, the first drive of the game that he called, the way that they scripted it out, like they looked really, really good. I was like, okay, no problem. They'll win this game going away. No problem at all. They, they went down there. They went right down there and they scored. And they looked really good doing it. CJ looked in rhythm. Brito was running ball well. Alfred Morris spelled him well. Like they were, like CJ was finding the open targets. The receivers were getting open. Like it looked really, really good. And I was like, okay, maybe they've turned a corner. They they're taking that momentum from last week against LA, and they're taking it into this game. And they're playing really well. And they start off really well, and then the wheels kind of fell off for for various reasons. And I think that you're right. Like CJ's CJ is basically one of those types of guys that will be will be a backup that you can insert into a game to not um to not lose it he will be one of those guys that you can get to manage the game cj is not a guy that again i mentioned it earlier not a guy that you can have drop back 50 times and throw the ball the only win of his career he dropped back less than 30 times and threw the ball that was it so he's best when he's kind of managing the game and they have a running game behind him now i granted i I get it 
I get why they were having him drop back so much because first of all, but by the fourth quarter, they were trailing by a bunch and they had to do it. And second of all, like they were down to two healthy running backs with um, Morris and, uh, and uh, Mostert. That's not even counting use So really it just comes down to whether they can find something else besides CJ on this offense. And as you said, the receiving group, they're targeted roughly the same amount that they were last year. And you put that stat out last week, and I mentioned it on the last show. And if you can pull that stat out, that'd be great. But if not, then they're roughly being targeted the same amount they were last year. So why aren't they making the most of their targets? And I think it's because we have to understand where the offense is when they get tar- when these receivers get targeted. Too many third and longs, too many drop passes, too many penalties that will that will set them back. And I think that this year, that's the biggest difference is that the, that the receivers really aren't able to overcome that. Maybe it's film study. Maybe people are starting to know Kyle Shanahan's scheme. But I really think that if you were to add a number one type receiver, like we questioned before the season, is Marquise Goodwin a number one receiver? And some people said yes. Some people said no. I think that he's on the verge when he's healthy. But the problem is, is that you're relying on a former track star to get healthy to be your number one receiver, right? So it's just one of those things where I would feel more comfortable if there were more options besides Marquise Goodwin because then it that takes the pressure off of him to get open. They need help at that position. We know that George Kittle has been the number one receiver for this offense the entire season. He's been just, just like a technician, both blocking and receiving from that tight end position. It's been a really, a really, really pleasant surprise. And I think that going forward, that's one of the things that you can build on for 2019 is George Kittle's role and expanding his role. And you mentioned the offensive line, like the offensive line has been really, really good. I was really worried about this group in the preseason. Now we talked about it on our shows in the preseason. This was a group that we were really worried about. We're like, what are they going to do with right guard? Is it going to be going to be Garnett? Is it going to be person? What are they going to do with McGlinchey if he doesn't play well? And they've really come together and they played pretty well as a unit. And they've there were three injuries on the line this week with Staley, uh, Staley McGlinchey and and Richburg, and they played really really well. They played through it. So I don't think that's that's as much of an issue. And that's a really pleasant surprise. I'm really happy about that. And that's something that they can they can build on for next year as well because you don't have to necessarily go out and spend money on the offensive line. You can focus on skill players. With regard to the the corners, so I, I just want to mention mention Richard Sherman and very quietly Richard Sherman. For those of you who haven't haven't seen Richard Sherman play like consistently this year because you're out of market, Richard Sherman has been, in my opinion, the best corner on the team the best corner in the, in the division and possibly the best corner in the entire conference this year. And that's, that's, that's not exaggerating. If you look at his numbers in three games, granted he's missed the two games. I, I believe he's only played three games. So the three games, he's allowed one catch for eight yards. He's been targeted eight times. So that's about, that's less than two targets a game. So really like that side of the field is shut down and that should tell you what opposing offenses think of a killer witherspoon and whoever's playing opposite Sherman. But really you have one of the best, best players in the game at his position playing at his peak, doing his thing at the other corner slot. And it doesn't seem to be making a difference. Why I'm with you. I have to think it's Robert Sala. I have to think it's, it's the scheme that they have drawn up and continuously. He's not, he, he doesn't, he's not using the right sequence of, of plays with regard to zone versus man. Um, he's bringing Ruben Foster more on blitzes, which I like because Ruben Foster is now getting to the quarterback, and I think that's an underrated part of his game. But really, like too often, they're out of they're out of position, and we have to think to ourselves like this was the same group last year that looked really really good down the stretch. I mean, the opening play for Arizona when Colbert took that awful angle, I'm like, what are you what are you even looking at? Why are you so aggressive? And it has to be like we hear all offseason about how, how Robert Sala is is preaching aggressive play and being violent and things like that, and I have to think that these young guys are impressionable and they really took it to heart and they're playing that way literally. Um, and the, the hope is that they can kind of regain some of their focus and regain some of what made them really good last year. And granted they played, they actually played really well this past game. I thought they were, I thought they were really good given the fact that the offense turned the ball over five times and, and gave the other team seven points on the fumble return. I think that they played really, really well. They, they Josh Rosen only completed 10 passes. The defense only allowed 61 yards total in the second half. And, Outside of that one play, that one seventy-five yard play, they didn't have really many breakdowns at all. They looked really good, and their issue is getting to the quarterback and creating turnovers. They're not doing either either one of those things. And we, I've been saying this for months, as far as Solomon Thomas goes. I want him inside next to Buckner. That's where he should be. And this is something that the Forty ers know. I don't know why they're 
continuously trying him out at the Leo position. I think it's because partially, Al, they, they didn't do enough to bring in a pass rusher this offseason. So really, it's just by committee, and they're just trying to see who works out there. But eventually, you're going to wreck Solomon Thomas's career if you don't play him in the right position. Mm-hmm. You are. You need to play him in the right position. You need to get that kid some confidence. He had 17 pass rushes last weekend against the Cardinals and had zero pressures. So really, like this, this guy's confidence is going to start to suffer. You need to put him in, p- in a position to succeed. That's your job, right? And really, I just, I just think that they, they're not as far along as we wanted because of, because of injuries, but also because I think the coaching staff overestimated the abilities of the roster. Like last year, if you saw it, like Kyle was kind of calling a more conservative sort of game plan on offense. Robert Sala was a little bit more conservative on defense. They weren't as aggressive and they were able to manage their way to a few victories at the end of the season when Jimmy was able to lead them. I, I think they kind of got away from that and both sides of the ball are really trying to do things that maybe they're not ready to do. And that's a good thing because they're realizing the limitations, but at the end of the day, you have to dial it back a little bit. And Robert Sala did, he did definitely change this game plan and you can see it. And Kyle Shanahan obviously did it as well. So the, the offense is there. I'm not worried about the offense. Like they're putting up good numbers. It's just hanging onto the ball, not turning it over. It's the defense I'm more worried about because they can't get to the quarterback and they really desperately need a pass rush. And that's, really what's holding this team back because if you get a good pass rush it changes everything it makes the quarterback get rid of the ball quicker it creates turnovers it makes your corners look better and i think that's what it is is that the loss of elvis doomerville is is looming larger than we really thought and they need guys to get home i I think their pressures statistically have been around the middle of the league but did everybody gets home yeah they're on pace for about 27 sacks that's the issue they need to get someone who who gets home and Staying with Salman Thomas thing, again, he was your number three overall pick. When you pick someone number three in the draft, you were picking him to be a franchise player. You gave up guys like Jamal Adams who were sitting there who could have made a world of difference on this team. You need to make sure this works as much as you possibly can this season for all. It's probably over. Who are we kidding? <laughs> They're not making the playoffs. Put him over Armstead or whoever you need to do and see what you have in him. If you do it for the next 11 games, and he, and he stinks, and it doesn't work, okay, you tried, it didn't work. But you need to give him the opportunity, and you have to do it now. It's utterly ridiculous, you have to do it now. So I, I hope that, that they're on the same page with that, and they do that. And yeah, the defense did look better in this game. I don't know, I don't know if it was the defense that looked better, or if the Cardinals' offense is just that bad, but we're going to find out, because we got the Packers and, and the Rams coming up the next two weeks, and, and both of those offenses can move up and down that field, especially the Rams. And um. This Packers game will be something. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers gets lost on the way to the stadium, they might have a chance. But other than that, yeah. at Lambeau, I, I just don't see it's hap- it happening. So, Zane, before we get into predictions for that game, though, did you want to hit out any game balls for Week 5? Yeah, so my game ball for, for Week 5 is actually going to go to Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey, and their first offensive line game ball this year. So uh, Mike McGlinchey has been really, really good on the, on the right side, right tackle, uh, really great at run blocking. We knew that he would be good at run blocking. We knew that Trent Brown was a little bit of, a better of a pass blocker, but I, I expected more growing pains from him. And granted that there's still the majority of the season left, but Mike McGlinchey has been holding his own out there. And he's been really reliable. He's played through injuries. He's definitely the heir apparent to Joe Staley when you flip him on the other side. And I think that that pick in itself, it wasn't like a really flashy pick when the 49ers made it, but it was a really smart pick because this is a, this is a pick that they can build around for years to come. When Joe Staley was drafted, uh, it was the same draft as Vernon Davis, and it was the second pick in the first round that they had. It was towards the end of the first round when they traded back in. It, Joe Staley was like a converted tight end, and nobody really expected much out of him, but he ended up being like an anchor for the offensive line for 10-plus years. And nobody had predicted that coming off the bat. And I think Mike McGlinchey will be similar to that because he does have that mentor. But if you look at how he plays, he's mean. He's physical at the point of attack. He's fundamentally sound. He has quick feet. He doesn't take penalties. That's all you want out of an offensive lineman and more. So Mike McGlinchey, Mike McGlinchey will get my game ball. My game ball is going to go to the fans for sitting through this crap. <laughs> my game ball is going. Yeah. I think the faithful for putting yeah. up with this. 
for putting yeah. up with having to listen to podcasts like ours who I, I want to sit, I want to be positive. I want to come on here like we were in, in the preseason and like, you know, we like what this guy brings. We like what that guy brings. And we saw this and it was good. And this was a big uplifting thing, but what, what do you want? What, what are we going to do? We got to talk about what's there. Right. Yeah. So we'll give our positive stuff where we can, but listen to the faithful man. My game ball is going to you guys because you guys have put up with a lot. You guys put up with a lot of bad years and then you got teased there for for three years before all that went to hell. And now you're putting up with a fourth really, really tough year in a row, a fourth year that looks like 10 losses plus a crazy year with injuries, comically ridiculous with injuries. And before I move on, I, I, I do want to say the two with the injuries too. I don't know what to, what to make of that. I don't know if it's a freak thing. I don't know if it's the strength and conditioning. I don't know what it, I don't know if it's a mixture of both, but I've never seen anything like it and it's insane. And you just have to think karma wise, maybe next year, I don't know, everybody will be healthy and it won't affect them because it's just, it's been just utterly, utterly crazy. So Zane, I don't know if you want to say anything to the fans, but to me, you guys get the game ball. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fans that came out to Levi's, the fans that keep watching the games, the fans that listen to us, thank you for keeping the team afloat. Like you you are diehards. Uh, Al and I are both both wanting the team to win. We're there watching every game as well on TV or in person. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's definitely hard to be a 49ers fan. But I'm hoping that better days are ahead. And Al, I, I always love, so we, we see comments on Twitter every once in a while. I always love people who come and say, oh, well, stop complaining about the team and just stop whining and they're doing their best. And so, so I, 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 that always makes me kind of laugh because when you, let me give you an example. Al. So when you, when your kids do something wrong and you want them to correct it, you say, Oh, it's okay because that's, that's fine because I love you. It's, it's fine. It's no, no big deal. Or do you actually want to get them to correct it? Do you point it out and be like, Hey, you did like you hit your, you hit your sibling or you, you hit your brother or sister. Like do you actually get them to correct it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do the tough love. Absolutely. Exactly. So you want, because you love them, you want them to be better and you point out like, Hey, these are the areas that you should improve on to be better because, because we love this team. We want them to be better. And when we point out flaws or statistics or whatever it is, like Al said, this is what's in front of us. These are, these are facts. This isn't just like conjecture. Like we don't, we don't do a lot of hot takes on the show. We basically give you the facts and give our opinion on that fact. Now the, our opinion could be wrong or right or take it for what it is, but the facts are that this is a really bad team right now. And the facts are that we want them to improve because all of us are 49ers fans. So don't come at us with like, oh, stop complaining and stuff like that. It's not about complaining. It's about wanting the team to be better and accepting a standard better than losing to the Arizona Cardinals who are a winless team in your own house. You have to be, you have to want better than that. And granted, I'm aware that it was because of injuries and all of these things. But at the same time, at some point, the fans who have been very patient with this team have to start wanting more. Like if you're John Lynch, you're asking for patience, but you also have to give something back to the fans as well to make them patient. So that's basically what it comes down to is that we want the team to do well. We'll point out the things that we think need to be changed. It's not complaining, it's pointing out the facts. And there's a very, there's a very fine line, but I don't want to cross that line because if you get into complaining, you're complaining about like, oh, our terrible luck and things like that. And I complained about the schedule. That's one thing I'm complaining about because I think it's ridiculous. But that didn't lead to Jimmy's injury. That didn't lead to the fact that they are having to trot out their third string running back, right? There are certain things that are fact, and there are certain things that you can complain about. The schedule, you can, I was complaining about, definitely. But the state of the team, it's a fact. They're not a very good team, and we're not happy with it. We want it, we want it to be better. And that's, that's really all what it is. And we have a responsibility to, like, you know, even though we are fans of this team, we also have a job covering this team. I had, like, I had one guy tell me to go root for another team. And I was like, <laughs> dude, like, you know, listen, like, it, it gets to a point, you know, we, we do have a job to cover this team. You know, we cover this team in person. We talk to people on our show, whether it's players or, or you know, media. We write about things. We go on other shows and talk about the team. We have a responsibility to in that regard. So, you know, the Allen Zane you may get maybe – you know, the, the fan Alan Zane, we, that's not always, you know, yeah, we do love the 49ers, but also 
we're going to look at it analytically too. So, and, and we're frustrated. I'm sure a lot of the fan base is. And like you said, yeah, you can be critical. You can be critical and still be a fan. <laughs> it's, it's not like if you say like, you know, the ownership is garbage or I'm, or I'm tired of this or whatever, like, whoa, whoa, you're not a fan. Like, that's not true. You can be pissed. You're every right to be pissed. You've every right to be pissed at what's going on. So, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you're not a fan if, if you want to voice your opinion or voice your frustrations. Yeah, it's not like you're turning your back on them. You know, we're still going to, they don't, if they lose the next 48 games, we'll still be fans, but we're still going to voice our displeasure. So, oh, that's how we feel about that. But having said that, uh, the Packers game, Zane, how bad is this going to be? Well, the Packers have not looked that great so far this season. And I think that if Jimmy was there, obviously it's, it's a different game. And if the 49ers had all their bodies, even Matt Breida is doubtful for this game. And if he plays, they have a better chance. I think the best chance that they have is really to control the clock and a lot of short passes from CJ to the, the receivers and use check and, and using Kittle and basically playing inside of a 10-yard box. Green Bay's defense is, is not that great, nor they, have they ever been on, when Aaron Rodgers has been uh, the quarterback over there. But it's just when you're going into Lambeau, facing Aaron Rodgers, he's pissed off because they lost against Detroit. Mason Crosby missed five field goals, and they, they could have won that game. Uh, it's just a really tall task. And I think that this is one of those games where you'll really see them be able to evaluate their roster and be able to see where they they lack talent and, and kind of use these measuring stick games. I think that the games against Arizona's, the Arizona's of the league, and the the Denver Broncos of the league and some of these other teams that aren't doing as well, they're not as useful because those rosters are not better than yours and you really don't you can't compare yourselves to that because you don't want to get there. But games against guys like Aaron Rodgers and they're not playing Tom Brady, but Tom Brady and when you're playing the Rams and and the Chiefs and some of these top teams, those are better measuring stick games because you can see how far off you are. And I think this is one of those games. I don't think that they're going to win this game. I think that they'll be they'll be lucky to keep this from getting ugly. But really, if you're the 49ers, you have to come in and, and try to win two quarters, three quarters, a half. You have, to, you have to go by that sort of measuring stick. And then if you can do that, you can say, hey, we just need a couple more pieces here and there. We can compete with these guys. I really think that that's what this season should be about, like evaluating your current roster, seeing where the holes are, maybe letting some of these young guys get some time to see what you have in them and letting guys like Pierre Garçon go and, and Eric Armstead go if you need to, Jimmy Ward, all these guys that have been veterans on this team, letting them go, letting some of the young guys step up, like the, like a Julian Taylor or a Tarverius Moore, or when Dante Pettis gets back, when Pettis, putting Pettis in the starting lineup. So I think that the opportunity is there for the young guys, and it's going to be exciting for them, and I think that if somebody emerges, it'll be exciting for us because we'll see Jimmy play with that person. But in games like this in Green Bay, like it's just it, there's, there's not a lot of hope, and I think that they're going to – they're going to lose this game pretty handily. Probably, um, if I were to put a prediction on it, probably 28 to 10. Hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to see if if good CJ or bad CJ shows up. I'm interested to see if, if Beathard looks more like he did against the Chargers, where he played pretty well, or against the Cardinals, where he looked a lot like he did in 2017. I'm interested to see if the defense builds off of the performance from last week and they at least make some plays on Aaron Rodgers get off the field a couple times, but yeah, unless Aaron Rodgers gets lost on his way to the stadium, it's probably going to, going to be pretty ugly. I, I would say, I think the Niners will score some points. Kyle Shanahan scores points, but I don't see them being able to stop the Packers at, especially at home. I would say it's going to be more of a high scoring game. I'll give it like 38 to 23 or something cool. along those lines, but I don't, yeah, it's going to Packers will win this one pretty handily. I think. Cool. Yeah. I think, I think this is one of those games where it just, <laughs> you have uh, a, a possible playoff team with Green Bay uh, and a Hall of Fame quarterback, and then you have the 49ers who are on their, on their third running back and their backup quarterback. So it just it's just not a fair match, and I think that this is not what the, the 49ers wanted, not frankly not what the NFL wanted. This is a primetime game. It'll be the last primetime game this year for the 49ers because they'll be flexing everything else out. So this will they got be- another Monday. They got another Monday nighter. Do they? Are they playing the Giants? I think they're playing the Giants on Monday night. There's no way. There's no way they keep that game in that slot. They're going to for sure flex that out. No, on Mondays they have to keep it on that slot, don't they? Uh, they take Monday night games out. I don't think. No, you know, they can't take you know Monday what? night games. Right. I think you're right. They only flex Sunday games. So yeah. So I guess they got the the Monday night game against the Giants, but and a Thursday night game against the Raiders. Oh yeah, they're not flexing that out. Yeah. So okay, no, never mind. This will, 
the, the, that game's gonna suck for the rest of the, the rest of the yeah, country. They, you're right. Thanks. Thanks for the correction. I appreciate it. There. Yeah. They, they've got three. They got three um, primetime games left for sure. So this will be one of the few chances this season to see the 49ers on national TV. And uh, if you don't live in in the Bay Area, it'll be a nice a nice thing to see your team um, play nationally. But I just I just don't have a lot. As soon as Jimmy went down, that's like when a lot of hopes were kind of dashed. At that point, you're building for 2019, and I think that the team is kind mm-hmm. of. They, they they know that as well. And, you know, I tweeted out to all these ridiculous rules that they have now for the quarterback. And, and some of them are ridiculous and some of them I see why they're doing it. And and you can't prevent injuries like Garoppolo's. If if the guy steps wrong, I don't care if you put the quarterback in bubble wrap. If you, if you have a non-contact injury, there's nothing you can do. But this is why they're doing that type of thing because you put five prime time games for a team because of their quarterback. Because there's so much hype around this guy and he's gone. <laughs> and yeah. You're moving the games out. So as much as the rules are ridiculous, uh, that's that's why they're there. But we'll see what happens, Zane. And hopefully next week we can come back with some positives to talk about and some good things and people that stood out and, and that sort of thing as well. But until then, for Zane, this is Al. Thanks, everybody. Peace.